Even in our own daily walk with God or without God, reality can become greatly skewed. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. Our 2019 theme is making disciples as we help our community know God, become family, and impact the world. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. Good morning, church. I expected this side of the room to be a little louder than this one because they're about half comatose. If somebody's in a black t-shirt sitting next to you, just pinch them lightly, gently in the spirit and let them know, hey, wake up, we got it. If somebody's sitting next to you that doesn't have a black shirt on, gently pinch them as well. They're going to need the same encouragement and make sure we're ready to get into the Word of God. The title of my message this morning is Reality Check. Yeah, reality Check. Have you ever been around somebody who needed a reality check? Yeah, I'm sitting right next to somebody. Is that, was that the testimony I just heard, right? We all need a reality check from time to time. Because if we're not careful, reality can get skewed in the culture we live in. Even in our own daily walk with God or without God, reality can become greatly skewed. As we look into the book of Romans, if you have your Bibles, you can start turning to Romans chapter 2. We've spent a long time in Romans chapter 1. And and remember, uh, these letters that we study, Romans, was a letter. It wasn't broken up into chapters. It wasn't broken up into verses. It was one letter. But we've taken it and we've broken it down so we could find parts of those letters much easier as we study it. In the first chapter, uh, the Apostle Paul was drawing the reality that there is the temptation to sell out to unrighteousness. And we spent several weeks looking at sexual immorality and other issues of morality and and life that says, I don't need the revealed truth of God. I'll live it how I want to live it. How we get caught up in pursuing immorality instead of being one with a holy God. So the whole spotlight, all of chapter 1, was on this category of person who has rejected the revealed truth of God. Now, we get over to, well, before we get to chapter 2, we'll be talking about where Paul left off, but he is giving them a reality check of saying that it isn't just this camp of people that got issues. They needed a reality check. A reality check is a method of deducing whether one is living a dream or living in real life. I'll give you a couple of examples, things you can't dream up. This is literally happening in America, in this day and age. Now, I'm not talking about in the 50s, the days of your grandparents. I'm talking about right now on our watch. Terrence Dickinson of Bristol, Pennsylvania, decided he needed some extra things, and so he made his way into a stranger's house, looted their home, was making his exit, going out the garage, When he closed the door, the door locked behind him, and the garage door was malfunctioning. He couldn't get out. Now, this is a while back. It hadn't been that long, but it was a while back before probably a little bit of a YouTube where you could get on your phone and figure out, how do I just pull a cord and get it to manually open? But he finds himself stuck in this garage. He can't get back through the door. You'd think he'd break through it, but he 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 couldn't get through it. He spent several days locked up in this garage. Yeah, it gets worse. Surviving on a case of Pepsi and a bag of dog food. Brilliant. Brilliant. Sin always pays, does it not? Well, I'm not done with the story. Family got back from vacation, found him locked up. Eight days he was in this garage living on dog food and Pepsi. 
Oh, wait. He sued the homeowner's insurance. <laughs> Claimed that he went through undue mental anguish. Surviving on dog food. A jury of his peers. Says a little bit about Pennsylvania. This part of Pennsylvania. Awarded him half a million dollars in damages. We're such brilliant people. Kara Walton was from Claremont, Delaware. She successfully sued the owner of a nightclub in her city where she fell from the bathroom window to the floor and knocked out two of her front teeth. Could have been only teeth. I don't know. She sued the establishment. They did some investigation. What in the world was she doing on the windowsill? Well, Miss Walton testified in court that she was trying to sneak into the establishment to avoid paying the $3.50 cover charge. Breaking and entering, she was awarded $12,000 and dental expenses. And you say, these are, there's no way. These happen. This is justice being served. And, and the point of these stories is there's a need for reality check. Sometimes you look around and say, is this possibly happening while I'm alive? Man thinking that we are so just and so smart and so clever, and we see the things that are being awarded in the culture in which we live. The Apostle Paul was trying to give his day a reality check, just like we need a reality check. In Romans chapter 1, at the very end, he was going on and on and on, and, and the spotlight is on these who are unrighteous. And not just sexual immorality, but was talking about a whole list of things. Those who were disobedient to parents, those who invented evil, those who were boastful people, arrogant people, haters of God, slanders, and the list went on and on and on. And you can hear the audience in Rome reading this letter and say, you go, Paul, you preach at the scumbags, you get them sinners. It's like they're applauding every step of the way. I had some people who were real excited I was going to cover Romans chapter 1 because of the challenges of the sexual revolution in our nation. But I'm not so sure they're as excited about Romans chapter 2. Because you see, Paul is going to take the spotlight from where he was addressing this side of the spectrum, and he's going to introduce us to another side. On that side, you find those who were committed to unrighteousness and immorality. Now he's going to address the issue of self-righteousness. And see, the God of this world, Satan, who hates you, who wants to kill, steal, and destroy, he will use one of two paths to destroy you. He will get you to pursue the path of unrighteous things and plug sin into your life and say, man, I'm just going to live how I want to live. I'm going to reject what God has said is true, and I'm just going to live how I want to live. That's one way. But that isn't the only way of destruction. There is a second path. It's a pendulum swing all the way over in the other direction, and it's the path of self-righteousness. We saw this in the days of Jesus when Jesus was walking on this planet. Yes, he addressed the issues that there were fornicators, there were adulterers, there were tax collectors. But then he also drew the attention to there were also Pharisees, Sadducees, and very religious people, self-righteous people. And what Paul is going to address here, and what we need to hear as well, is yes, we know unrighteousness separates us from the love of God and comes under judgment, but so does self-righteousness. And so he's going to walk us through a list of things that highlight what it means to be self-righteous and under the judgment of God as well. So here we find Romans chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore, you, not these, but you, have no excuse. 
every one of you who passes judgment. That word judgment here speaks of not discernment, not judging whether something is right or wrong, but it's actually a judgment of condemnation. It's passing a verdict. It's playing the righteous judge and judging a group of people that are different from you who are pursuing these things, but you supposedly are fine right where you are. He confronts them about their self-righteousness. So we're going to see four characteristics of self-righteousness. We looked at unrighteous things. We can see all those categories. But what does a self-righteous life look like? Number one, take a look at the rest of verse one. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the very same things. The first characteristic of a self-righteous person is someone who accuses others and excuses themselves. Happens all the time. I'm better than that person. Or at least I'm not that bad, or at least I'm not doing what I used to do. And we seem to explain away our unrighteousness because we become better or more righteous. That is the first characteristic the the Apostle Paul addresses. He says, you think that you can look down on other people and you can judge others and you can look at their sin, but you're missing your very own? And so he will challenge them and he will expose their excuses Anybody here disobey their parents? Anybody here ever tell a lie? Anybody here ever invent evil, whether it was in deed or thought or word? The list could go on and on. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, if you're a Jew, a Baptist, a Methodist, a Catholic, a Charismatic, or any other scope of religious background. We can all realize we've all fallen short of the glory of God and all deserving of God's judgment. The God of this world, if he has not gotten you in this lane, he will certainly go after you in this lane. And when you look at the ministry of Jesus, who did Jesus butt heads with the most? Was it the tax collectors or was it the religious self-righteous? Did he find, do we find him being more aggressive on this track than he even was in this track? Both tracks were separating people from God, but both needed to hear the truth that there is only one way, one truth, and one life. That leads us to verse 2 again. And seeing the second characteristic of self-righteousness. For we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. The second thing he's going to expose is they were judging by the wrong standard. He was saying, okay, I get it. Yeah, we know this is really simple. This lane, this path, total rebellion against God is going to come under judgment. But he's going to also say the judgment of God is also poured out over here as well those who think that they're good those who think that their works are going to get them to heaven those who think being a member of a church that the things that I do instead of what I don't do that's going to get me there and Jesus is going to expose through the apostle Paul you are judging by the wrong standard you see the problem was in their scale they were judging their life versus another's life They were looking at, well, mine isn't that bad, but they're on the wrong scale. Me is above thee. And that's the whole wrong scale. The scale is the righteousness of God. The scale is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the scale. For the Bible says, be ye holy as he is holy. Anybody getting on that scale? Jesus takes us there. 
I stand before you a holy man, not because I quit doing this and not because I'm not going there. I struggle probably between both lanes at times in my life, but I can stand before you holy because I'm in the holiness of Christ, what he has done, not what I do. I ain't making it because I was a Baptist preacher and started going to Baptist church. I get to preach in a church and I get to share the word of God because he has transformed me and I have experienced the righteousness of Christ and I stand on his scale. Not mine. Verse 3. Paul goes on to say, But do you suppose this, O man, that when you pass judgment on those who practice these things, you pass the same judgment on yourself, and do you think that you will escape the judgment of God? You see, there was this whole camp of people that thought, you know, we're the seed of Abraham. We're good people. We don't do those things, but they had issues, they had their own things. Their issue was not unrighteousness as much as it was their self-righteousness, which was just as unrighteous. It just looked different. And so the third characteristic of self-righteousness is that we, in how we judge others, it reveals our spirituality. He says, you're actually just exposing yourself. You want to look down over here? You want to, you want to point out their sin? But it's all coming back on you because it exposes your sin as well, your sin of self-righteousness. If you look at this illustration on the screen, you have a shopping cart, let's say that's $10 million on the left and $1 million on the right. Now, clearly, if you owe $10 million, that would be probably for most of us, if not all of us, impossible to pay back. Would it be any easier paying the million back? But here's that cart that says, well, I'm not as big a debtor as that person is. Man, I can't believe they've racked up that much debt. Look at that. Look at how, my goodness, look how big their cart is. Both of them are carts. Both of them have debts they can't pay. One may be bigger or perceived bigger than the other, but both of them are in debt. And that's what Paul is trying to say. I know it's easy to dogpile on those who've rejected the will of God and the revelation of God and just live in unrighteous sin. That's easy to see. What's harder to see is have I fallen into the trap of Satan who appears as an angel of light and has convinced me that it's what I do, it's what I don't do. It's whether I'm in a church or out of a church. It's if I've done this, if I've been to Falls Creek, if I did D now. A checklist of righteousness. And Apostle Paul says both camps will come under the judgment of of God. Look at verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, his patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? The fourth characteristic where the enemy lulls us to sleep in self-righteousness is we misinterpret God's patience. The first hour that I just preached to they grew up under a preaching of hellfire and brimstone. You may not know that term they lived it for years and years and years. They were painted a picture of God that he was a grumpy old man who was sick and tired of who they were and was just waiting to send them to hell. That's who God was. This generation, there's a pendulum swing that came all this way and said, no, 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 God is a God of love. He loves you and he does. He does love us. But he loves us like we saw last Sunday. He loves us enough not to leave us in our sin but to give us abundant life in him but we can reject that and we can think that that's a religion and we can think that's old school and we can misinterpret and say well God's a God of love then all people will go to heaven 
If God is a God of love, then only a loving God would receive all people. We misinterpret the patience of God. If you're taking some notes, I won't put it on the screen. You can write them down. They're in your version notes. Psalm 86 verse 15 talks about the patience of God. But you, God, are merciful, you are gracious, you're slow to anger, you're abundant in loving kindness and truth. It sounds like a big, warm, spiritual Santa, Santa Claus, right? He just loves us. It's a warm fuzzy. And a lot of people misinterpret his patience. Paul will go on later in Romans 15 and says, Now may the God of patience, he also addresses God as this patient God, this loving God, who comforts us, who grants us, all these things according to Christ Jesus? Peter. Peter also talked about this loving God. In 2 Peter 3.9, he said, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering towards us. A lot of people have drawn a wrong conclusion. If God's a God of love and he's long-suffering, then I can do whatever I want, and then later on, I can do my business with God. Later on, then I'll nail down. When I grow up and I start having a family and kids, and then I'll act like my parents did and my grandparents did. But right now, I'm going to do what I want to do. Because after all, he's a patient, long-suffering God. Be careful. Yes, he is patient, and yes, he is loving, but his patience does run out. I'm going to take you through a couple of examples. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn. Uh, well, right there while you're at Romans 2, real quick, though, let's, let's, let's see where his patience is leading. Look at the last part of verse 4. Not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. I know we had a great Disciple Now weekend, and I know that as you were in the Word, I'm sure that it spoke to you, and it, I, I know I can see a freshness in many of you as you came in this morning, even though you're exhausted and tired. But if that exposure to the Word didn't lead to repentance in some areas of our lives, did we miss it? Because His loving kindness is to draw us back in the center of His will, not over to becoming more self-righteous, not becoming this or that or not doing this, but abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us, leading us to repentance from self-righteousness or unrighteousness. Let's take a look at it. Luke chapter 18. Flip over there. You've got to see it. You know this parable. Jesus was going to expose the reality of these two camps. He's going to put both, one from this camp and one from this camp, and they're going to be at a place praying to God. Watch this. Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus told a parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. What we find here is there's a category of people right over here that said, you know, we're not unrighteous. We're the seed of Abraham. Our day we could say, we're Baptists. Whoopie-doo. We're Methodists. We're this. We're, we're non-denominational as if that fixed everything. They were righteous in themselves and viewed others with contempt. Here's another indicator of self-righteousness. Remember we saw last week when Jesus looked on the people? He saw sinners. He saw sexual immorality. He saw evil. He saw people who were hating his will and his ways. And he didn't look down on them and say, oh man, it's because of you people i got to die on a cross. It's because of you sinners that I'm going to have to go through all this hell on earth. Now the Bible says Jesus looked on them with what? What was our word last week? Compassion. These people claiming to be righteous, the righteousness of God, righteous people of God, looked on those very same people, not with compassion. What's that word here in verse 9? With contempt. We're better than you. 
you're evil, we're not. And they had contempt, not compassion, but contempt. There's your distinction. These were religious people, but they were not God's people. Is that possible? Yes. Billy Graham said he feared that many in the church, many, not some, many in the church were more religious than those who had a real relationship with a true God. You see, the enemy, I believe hell will be full of people who surrendered to unrighteousness, and I think probably a bigger majority will be those who surrender to religion. Why does the path that leads to destruction? Many are on it. They looked on these kind of people with contempt. So Jesus said there were two men who went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, which camp? Over here or over here? Which side? Right over here is the Pharisee. Pharisee, what do we know about the Pharisees? It was one of the denominations of their day. It was the most religious, the most dedicated, the most disciplined. They didn't do one disciple now a year. They did one every month. They were going to get it. Tax collector, over here, over here. Hello, wait, hello, over here. Thank you, over here. Two spectrums. Tax collector. You guys don't get it yet. It's coming. Moms and dads, <laughs> April 15th. Close to Easter, but it ain't Easter, is it? Most evil day on planet Earth, April 15th. And I got an amen from the congregation. Tax collectors. In this day, way more evil than what we could ever think about our tax system today. It was modern-day mafia in their days. They were extorting people and ripping off people and filling their own pockets and sending the rest of it on to Rome. They were hated more than anybody on the planet. And if you were looking at these two people, which one would you side up with back in this day? You'd have a little bit more love for this guy over here. So watch this. They're both, what are they doing? praying. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying. You'd expect him to pray. The problem is, look at this, I think it's comical. He was praying to who? Now he's going to use the right words. He, he's doing what he's been taught to do. He's praying to God. But God's word says he was just praying to himself. It wasn't going to heaven because he was praying about his world, his righteousness, not his. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like you guys. I'm not like all of them. I figured it out. Lord, I, I am not going to be like them. Lord, you can look at me and you can look at my resume. And Lord, you should be impressed. Because I'm not a swindler. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even a tax collector. Don't you want to applaud for this guy? What a saint of God, huh? Impressive. Oh, it gets better. How many of you fast twice a week? How many of you tithe on everything? I tithe on all I get, Lord, because I am righteous. But there was the tax collector. He was standing some distance away, so he wasn't even listening in on this guy's prayer. But he was unwilling to even lift his eyes up to God. Here's a guy, the, the Pharisee, he's like, hey God, God, remember me, your tither, 
Remember me? Captain Spiritual? Gotcha. This guy over here, he knew the reality of his heart. And he couldn't even look on a holy God. And he breaks in front of him and he, he in his brokenness, is humble before God and says, God, I get it. God, I'm a sinner. And he understood that God shouldn't even be listening to him. While this guy thought, God better be pouring out some blessings on me because I got this down. Two different hearts. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than this man who exalted himself and will ultimately be humbled. But he who humbles himself, he will be the one exalted. I think it's easy sometimes for us to fall into this camp, rejecting unrighteousness, but thinking that now I've got to prove to God and I've got to be self-righteous. I've got to do this, I've got to quit doing that, and that's going to fix it. Religion doesn't fix it. If religion could have fixed it, Jesus would have never had to come. Proverbs chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, you can listen in. And we talk about the patience of God. He is patient with both camps. But his patience does run out. In Proverbs 1, we see this picture, and it says that wisdom cries out in the streets. God has poured out his revelation. Remember what we saw in Romans 1? He has revealed his truth. It says wisdom shouts out in the streets, even above the other cries. The cries in the streets that say, hey, this is the way, walk in it. Hey, man, live for the gusto. There were those cries going up. There was also the cries of religion that said, you must do this, and you must do that, and you must do this to be right with God. You must be the seed of Abraham. You must be religious. And all this was screaming out to people, and they knew this didn't work, and they certainly didn't want that. But that's why Jesus came, not to give another religion, but to be the way, the truth, and the life. Through this whole proverb, of proverb chapter 1, he says, how long, how long will you reject my wisdom how long will you quit listening how long will you shun me all of these things he says in the end time i will finally withdraw my patience your dread will come like a storm and your calamity like a whirlwind distress and anguish will come upon you then they will call on me like we always do in times of trouble right but i will not answer them to me that is alarming to others, they say, well, that's not very godlike. They call on you, y'all to answer. He said he'd been calling and calling and calling, but we didn't want to answer. And there is a time, you need to hear this, there is a time when the patience of God runs out. You will reap what you sow. He will turn you over. If you want to go here, if you want to go there. He will keep speaking lovingly into your life and drawing you to his truth and his will and his ways. But if you reject it, there will come a time when his patience stops. And he says, you will eat of the fruit of your own ways. Let's go back to Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Paul draws that same conclusion. The same things he learned in Proverbs 1. For in verse 5 he says, But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant hearts, who's he talking to, this side or this side? The religious people of the day. Because of your stubbornness, because of your unrepentant heart, 
you also are storing up wrath on yourself in the day of wrath and the revelation of righteous judgment of God. There's nothing more disheartening to God than the sin of self-righteousness and a religious spirit. And what Paul is saying here, what the Holy Spirit is revealing, is not only will those who die in their unrighteousness be separated from God, sin can't go into heaven. Paul says, know this, your unrepentant hearts, even though you're religious, and even though you on a scale of humanity might be doing a little better, that also will be judged because all of us, all of our righteousness is like a guy's locker room. Nasty. Filthy. Doesn't matter if you folded it up. Doesn't matter if you stack it up. I haven't walked into a guy's locker room yet that doesn't stink to high heaven. And that is a picture of us even in our religious righteousness. The day of wrath. The judgment of God. You say, oh, here comes that hellfire brimstone. No, here comes the truth of God. God is loving. God is patient. But God will have to judge the sin of man. Matthew chapter 7 talks about this judgment. You've seen it before, but look at it and notice what isn't there, what isn't being addressed. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, well, in your kingdom of heaven. So let's talk about this. People over here in this camp, are they saying, Lord, Lord? Not at all. They're saying, sin, 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 sin. They're not looking at God or God's will. But there are people who will experience the judgment of God who know the right words. They've been to Sunday school. They went to D-Nows. They've been to False Creek. They've been to Sunday morning church, and they know the vocabulary like a Pharisee. Lord, Lord, they may declare the right name, but Jesus says, not everyone who says those words will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So many will say to me on that day, what's the first word of verse 22? Many. Many, not over here, many over here. Many who show up for church, many who are on a church roll, many who know the Sunday school answers, many will say to me on that day, what day? Judgment day. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not cast out demons? And in your name did we not host a bunch of youth for disciple now? And in your name did we not get a bunch of Awana badges? And in your name was I not baptized. And in your name, and the list could go on and on, all this religious activity, did we not perform many miracles? And Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, those who practice lawlessness. Whoa, 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 Jesus, Jesus. This is the lawless camp. Yes, it is. Those who pursue unrighteousness, that's lawless. That's lawlessness. But look at who he's addressing. Many who were over here on this spectrum who thought they were getting into heaven and thought they were right with God because they were religious. And Jesus says to this camp, this camp we already know falls under the judgment of God, this camp doesn't get it. 
And Jesus says, depart from me, spend eternity away from me, because you're in your sin as well. What was their sin? Self-righteousness. He says, I never knew you. Don't get confused. He didn't say, you know, I once knew you. You used to be one of mine, but no longer. He said, no, you just knew religion. But you didn't know me, I didn't know you. You see, it isn't what we don't do or what we do. It's who we know and who knows us. It's the only way. You won't get there by joining a church. You won't get there by being more religious. You won't get there because you attended D now and now you got these warm fuzzies. And We need to be in those things and we need to be a part of that because he is in us and we're in him and we're abiding in that. But that's different than doing those things to get God's favor or earn our way into heaven. Depart from me, I never knew you. Two ways Satan destroys a person's life. Unrighteousness, religion. Not doing the right things and trying to do religious things. The only way that I stand here before you, righteous before God's eyes, is not because I'm a Baptist preacher. And not because I quit going to this group and I switched over here to a Baptist group. But because I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I said, Lord... And I couldn't even look to heaven either. And I remember that night I was saved. Man, tears were coming down my face and I was broken before a holy God because I was so unholy. And I cried out to God in my prayer and I said, God, I'm a sinner. And God, I can't save myself. And this Baptist church that threw on this cool pizza blast, they can't save me either. But Jesus, you can. And you know what happened that night? Jesus saved me. I didn't deserve it, neither do you. And so which camp are you in? Do you find that you're just living in this natural world, trying to find fulfillment in all of these things? Do you find yourself over here banking on a religion to get you there? Or have you come to a place where you said, I can't save myself only Jesus can. Would you pray with me with every head bowed and every eye closed? Coming out of D-Now weekend, it isn't just for our young people this time of invitation. They've been wrestling with the things of God, the Word of God, and the will of God all weekend long, and there might be several of them that need to come. I know that you professed it during the weekend, but we haven't seen what God's doing in your heart, and we want you to come, and we want you to share what Jesus is doing in your life this weekend. But God just doesn't move at D-Now's. God moves... Every time his word is preached. And God moves every second in your day as he woos you and as he speaks to you and as he loves you with his patience and his kindness. And it could be that there's a mom or a dad, a grandma or a grandpa, or maybe even a teenager that didn't make it to D now. Or maybe even a teenager that made it to D now, but you've been stiff-arming God. And the Holy Spirit is breaking you. Would you, like that tax collector... Just give it to him. Would you declare, Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me. Or if you are a Christian, but you've fallen into the camp of legalism or spirit of religion, maybe you need to repent of that and say, God, I'm not going to bank on my works. God, forgive me for my religious sin. Maybe that's what needs to happen in this place. The Bible said there are many who are trapped in that. Many who are trapped in a spirit of religion. 
but not a relationship. Not abiding in Christ and Christ in them, but abiding in their works. God help us. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's saying to you, but I'm going to ask our staff if they make their way to the front. We're going to stand in a moment. And if God has spoken to you, whether it's this weekend at D-Now or this Sunday morning, I'm going to ask you just to deal with that and to give God the glory as you come to one of our staff and say, here's what God's doing in my life. Father, do that now for your glory and your namesake. As we pray not to ourselves, but to you, a holy God. Holy God, break it out now, right now, in each and every life, right here, even online, those who are watching. Be glorified in these moments, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.